You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we will delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation, the financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to TC Podcasts On The Go. I'm Anatole Manid, Program Director from Toronto Centre. Today, I'm in Toronto, Canada, and have the pleasure of spending some time with Dr. Naresh Singh. Dr. Naresh Singh is the Toronto Centre Special Advisor on Sustainability, and he serves as Senior Vice President for Global Partnerships at Global Development Solutions Canada, a strategic advisory services firm. And our conversation today will focus on climate risks to the financial system, lessons from the pandemic. Welcome, Dr. Singh, and thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today. Thanks very much, Anatole, for having me. Great pleasure. Great. Well, let's get underway. In broad terms, why is it useful to discuss climate and pandemic risks and the impact to the financial system together? The reason for that, uh, Anatole, is that there are several similarities, yes, some differences as well, and parallels between the pandemic that we are experiencing and uh, climate change. And there are a bunch of opportunities for joint action. Um, I really believe that joint action, you know, identifying those win-win actions in which Regulators and supervisors can act both for the recovery from the pandemic as well as to curb climate change would be very important. Otherwise, we might have a situation in which we are giving attention to one, the urgent, the pandemic, while forgetting the important, the climate risks. This would mean that at the end of the pandemic, we face a world with an even worse crisis, that of worsening climate change. Of course, some measures will be different, but regulators and supervisors will have to deal with these impacts by using some very similar principles. And that's why it is so important to do these together. These principles include uncertainty, unpredictability, and resilience building. Great. So I really like the way you put that, uh, the urgent and the important. So before going into detailed assessment of the links with the pandemic, might it be useful if you could provide some details on climate risks? Yes, indeed. Um, regulators and supervisors have been addressing climate risks for a much longer time. So it does make a lot of sense for us to talk a little bit about uh climate risks first, because we have more experience with that system. See, climate change can impact upon the financial system, and the financial system can impact climate change. That is a dynamic interaction. And this works, of course, through the economic system of how societies produce goods and services, uh, pure procure them, produce, distribute, use, and dispose of 
of our final products. Climate risks to the financial system can be grouped into two main categories, physical risks and transition risks, which include liability risks. So physical risks, especially those related to extreme weather events, uh, rising seas, higher temperatures, these will all be done, I understand, in another podcast. So why don't we focus today on the other broad category, that is of transition and liability risks. Now, we talked about how climate can impact the financial system, but the financial system, i.e. financial flows, can also make climate change worse or better. It makes climate change worse when we invest in uh, fossil fuel-based industries and can make it better when we invest in renewables or so-called financial uh, products. So let's talk a little bit about transition and liability risks as we have uh, uh, agreed that physical will be done uh, in another podcast. So these transition and liability risks arise during the transition as governments pass legislation and enact policies in order to move, if you like, to a low carbon economy. So these transition risks entail extensive policy, legal, technology, and market changes. The legal and policy risks provide you know, uh, certain constraints and uh, legal actions become necessary. Technology risks will have an impact on costs and competitiveness. Uh, market risks, of course, result from shifts in supply and demand, including what we might call stranded assets. And by that, we mean those assets which might suddenly depreciate in value because of a change in policy. For example, as we as governments enact carbon taxes or other kinds of uh, policy changes to, to move the transition towards uh, low carbon economies, investments in fossil fuel industries um, might not be secure. They might lose their value very quickly or suddenly. You know, the, all of, if we assume that all of the fossil fuel in the earth will be, will be explored and, and uh, all, all the oil stored in the earth will be, in fact, extracted, that might be false. Some of it might be left behind because we would have moved on to other kinds of uh, energy. And so we will have uh, these stranded assets and we need to be aware of them. Liability risks could arise from lawsuits for failure to either to mitigate or to disclose risks, and uh, there would be claims under liability insurance. The litigation risks, in addition to borrowers and and issuers facing these risks, financial companies themselves may face litigation for not taking sufficient account of or for not disclosing the climate change implications of their lending and investment decisions. There could be also operational risks. You know, climate change could increase the operational risks as a result of impact on access to offices, to networks, outsourced services, and so on. And finally, reputational risks could be very important. 
because various stakeholders may take action against uh, governments or companies such as moving their business and uh, elsewhere, selling out their shares if they perceive that financial companies are not contributing sufficiently to meeting environmental goals. You know, we have the classic example of uh, a, a group of young Canadians taking the federal government to court because they feel the government is not taking enough action to transition to a low-carbon economy, and we will see what comes out of that of that litigation. So you've talked about two uh, overarching risks, physical and transition, and you've outlined, uh, well outlined, a number of transitional risks. Why should financial services regulators and supervisors pay attention to these transition and liability risks, and what actions can they take on these types of risks? Yes, indeed. The, the main reason for uh, regulators and supervisors to be concerned and to take these very seriously is if they don't, they will not be able to meet their broad responsibilities to society, including their responsibilities to consumers, financial consumers, investors, and indeed the regulated entities themselves. So, for example, in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, regulators and supervisors are now required to guide investment in and or raise finance for climate risk mitigation, climate resilience and climate adaptation, including climate and green bonds and other debt and equity instruments. They are also required to increase coverage of national and regional uh, natural catastrophe insurance schemes. They're now being asked to integrate climate risks into underwriting practices, into investment analysis and decision-making. We mentioned the situation of stranded assets. Uh, These regulators are now required to consider global exposure limits or divestment across industry segments such as fossil fuel, energy generation, coal mining, coal transportation infrastructure, and unconventional oil extraction. They need to be, in other words, an active steward of investments in portfolio companies, engaging with management and exercising shareholder voting influences so that these might become more climate sensitive and climate resilience businesses uh, going forward. At the same time, they need to be looking at making uh, financial systems much more inclusive of uh, the most vulnerable and marginalized people. A very important area is the area of measurement and publicly disclosing uh, the carbon footprint of of, uh, companies, investment portfolios, and so on. Some of the actions that they would need to take, some very concrete actions, would include financial disclosures. Fortunately, we have the task force on financial, uh, climate-related financial disclosures, which provides an excellent guide on what kinds of disclosures are now required. So, for example, they require disclosures at the level of governance. You know, what is the board 
uh, of a particular organization doing? What actions are they taking? Then at the level of strategy, so under governance strategy, which deals with the actual and potential impacts of climate-related risks and opportunities on an organization's uh, business strategy and financial planning. Below the strategy, they are required to disclose data on what such organizations are revealing, are disclosing on the processes used by the organization to identify, assess, and manage climate risks. And finally, organizations need to be disclosing financial institutions, that is, the metrics and targets that they are using to assess and manage relevant climate-related risks and opportunities. To just summarize all of this, there are a whole range of opportunities now for regulators and supervisors, which include permitting green investments and lending, removing barriers to product and service innovations that might deal with climate-related risks, supporting consumer awareness and literacy so they can hold uh, their financial institutions accountable. They need to reflect climate-related risks in capital adequacy requirements. They are encouraged to do scenario analysis and stress testing of climate-related risks, just as they've been doing stress testing for banks of uh, routine financial risks. They need also to require disclosures, those I just outlined, by regulated entities and encourage them to influence their counterparties to also make these disclosures. And finally, they should require disclosures by listed companies, especially for securities regulators. That, I believe, is a a summary of both their responsibilities as well as opportunity and the responsibility to act. Well, with that overview of transition and related risks of climate to the financial system, let's turn to the pandemic. Can you provide an overview of the relationships, similarities, and differences between climate risks and pandemic risks? Yes, indeed. uh, You know, suddenly people are able to see the Himalayas from a distance in India, which was shrouded over just prior to the pandemic by pollution. Birds can be heard singing in China and stars are visible from Rome. What that tells us, of course, this might be temporary, but it tells us that a reduction in pollution, including from greenhouse gases, although the pollution we are talking about now is really not greenhouse gases which are invisible, but it gives us a signal that indeed we can control pollution from economic activity and change it uh, quite dramatically. It shows that deep cuts in greenhouse gases could have beneficial effects if people were not certain up to this point. But of course, the big question is, at what cost to lives and livelihoods? We are already seeing the huge impact that the closures uh, on the economy because of the pandemic, the huge huge impact we are having. People are losing jobs. The level of uh, unemployment claims in 
richer countries, US, Canada, and Europe are huge. This is giving us a preview into what might happen if we do not take action on climate change. If we wait until it is too late, we are going to have similar kinds of drastic measures and, uh, and severe impacts, even worse. So all of this is telling us that we need to move rapidly on climate change. And hopefully it is giving both policymakers and society at large this, uh, you know, this impetus to act. So we, uh, we should use the opportunity as well to um, begin to think of how we make a better world, not just get out of climate change, get out of the pandemic, but how do we use this opportunity uh, to make a better world? That is to say, address the issues of inequality, which are being revealed uh, by this pandemic. And I will talk about that in a, in a second, a little bit more. And how do we include the excluded? But in order to guide uh, regulators and supervisors, three questions might be helpful. They can ask themselves, what lessons can be learned from the current pandemic for climate change? What implications, positive or negative, could our pandemic responses hold for climate action? And what steps could they, i.e. the regulators and supervisors, but also companies, governments, and individuals take to align their immediate pandemic response with the imperatives of sustainability? So let's take a look at pandemics and climate risks together. The first thing you recognize is that both pandemics and climate change are external shocks to the financial system. And they cascade into an array of socioeconomic and then financial impacts. They are not internal shocks such as financial shocks themselves. And by that, I mean things like bank runs and bubble bursts, and market crashes, and sovereign defaults or currency devaluations. These are internal financial shocks, and they are largely driven by uh, financial systems, human sentiment, and most often driven by a fear of lost value or liquidity. Financial shocks originate from within the financial system and frequently can be remedied by restoring confidence. External shocks, however, can only be remedied by understanding and addressing the underlying causes. In the financial world, our recent collective experience, whether in public or private sector, has more often been shaped by financial shocks, such as the financial shock of 2008, and not the external ones, like the current pandemic, which is providing uh, perhaps a foretaste of what a full-fledged climate crisis could entail. And it is also raising our attention and giving us uh, time to examine what these shocks might do to the disruption of supply and demand, disruption of supply chains, global transmission and amplification mechanisms, etc. Now, while there are some differences, there are a whole range of similarities, many more than most people or especially regulators might, might recognize 
at first look. So let me quickly summarize these. Both pandemics and climate risks are systemic in that their direct manifestations and their knock-on effects propagate fast across an interconnected world. And that is why we had this huge oil price shock, you know, and precipitous declines, sudden uh, recoveries, and so on in the stock market. They are non-stationary in that past probabilities and distributions of occurrences can hardly provide an adequate or sufficient base for future projections. They are nonlinear in that their socioeconomic impact grows disproportionately and even catastrophically once certain thresholds are breached. Using linear deterministic models uh, could be therefore uh, very erroneous and lead us into trouble. They are risk multipliers in that they highlight and exacerbate hitherto untested vulnerabilities inherent in the financial and healthcare systems. And, you know, like those I've been mentioning uh, about people, the inequality in the system um, leads to risk multiplication and people who are more vulnerable get hit to a much larger extent. They are both regressive as well in that they affect disproportionately these are subpopulations of the world. They are also similar in that they cannot be considered black swans. Some people, you know, would claim that uh, we could not predict, but that's not true. Many books have been written. I don't have time to go through the long list of research papers and books that have been written indicating that a pandemic was imminent and on climate change, no need to talk about that. The research and the consensus of, of opinion of the International Panel on Climate Change, uh, bringing together of the world's best scientists, have already uh, told us that this is happening uh, already. But there are some differences that we need to recognize. And these differences come from a kind of a similarity. That is that uh, addressing both pandemics and climate risks requires the same fundamental shift from optimizing largely for the short-term performance of financial systems to ensure their equal long-term resiliency. That's the challenge. It's both drawn from a similarity, but also a challenge in how we deal with them. You know, public health crises present uh, like this pandemic. It's imminent. It's happening right away. It's discreet. And directly discernible dangers are there. And so we act immediately. We shut down the whole economy because we, uh, we figure it's necessary for our survival. The risks from climate change, by contrast, are gradual. They're cumulative. And they're often distributed dangers that manifest themselves in degrees and over a longer time. You know, that reminds me of the story uh, of the frog, you know, the story goes, if you uh, put a frog in normal water and you heat that water slowly, the frog would probably stay in the water and get boiled to death. On the other hand, of course, if you put a frog in very hot water, it will probably jump out of it. And that's a big difference. You know, the, the pandemic is like a frog thrown 
um, into boiling water and jumps out and is able to escape and recover, hopefully. Putting them in normal water and heating it slowly like climate change is a much more insidious danger, as we can all well imagine. And that has been called by Mark Carney, the former governor of the Bank of Canada and of the Bank of England, now in the UN system, the tragedy of the horizon. So what does this all mean for regulators? It means they will have to use multidisciplinary teams, use an integrated risk management when dealing with these three challenges, uncertainty, unpredictability, and the need to build resiliency. You know, Anatole, I recognize a kind of an eerie parallel between uh, this, this, this pandemic and climate change. The physical impact on lives and healthcare systems are very similar to the direct deaths that the disease is causing and the damage to the healthcare system. While the impacts of the containment measures, i.e. the lockdown of the economy and the challenges of reopening it, are very similar to the transition and liability risks that we are talking about. Let me give you one uh, example. And that is, the, I'll show you a common driver of both pandemic and climate change. The clearance of forests, wilderness areas, ecosystems, and so on, that we do so much for agriculture and livestock, increases the chances of both viral pandemics and climate change, because as we know, the forests are uh, absorbing carbon dioxide and therefore reducing the impact on climate change, and they, they provide a home that keeps uh, viruses and so on away from us. And, um, you know, the, the issue of malarial deaths, this could be a combination. You know, right now, about 400,000 people die every year from malaria. It has been projected by the scientists, including WHO, that climate change could increase the number of deaths by about 60,000 mm. per year. And so, you know, one can recognize these common drivers and interactions between pandemics and climate change. So uh, that probably gives us a, hopefully, a good uh, sense of the interaction of these two parallels and differences. So once again, I'm hearing from you the um, urgent and the important and where we focus uh, our attention. So what are some of the early lessons uh, that we're learning and some of the opportunities for supervisors and regulators to address these risks together? All right. The, um, the first big one, uh, I guess, is that hopefully regulators, supervisors, and societies at large, their attention will be galvanized by this pandemic, and they will focus not only on the pandemic, but other exogenous or, or uh, non-financial shocks to the financial system, such as climate change. They should also be looking... You know, the pandemic is revealing that vulnerable and marginalized people suffer much more. It's clear from the data we are seeing. Not only between rich and poor countries, and a, a lot of the impact in poor countries are just beginning as their uh, impacts of the pandemic are just starting in many of these countries. 
So it's not only between rich and poor countries, but between rich and poor people within countries, including rich countries. So dealing with this in terms of inclusion becomes critically important. In order that we might build back a world from this pandemic and in addressing climate change, again to quote Mark Carney um, in an article recently in The Economist magazine, he talks about putting values above valuations or letting values, a different set of values, drive valuations of corporations, of, of companies. The lesson is that we have to learn to deal with uncertainty and non-linearity and that our world is a non-linear world, an uncertain and unpredictable world, and we need, therefore, to be thinking in those terms rather than avoiding that. So building resilience to pandemics, climate change, and financial systems together. Let me give you an example um, of how this can be done together and a lesson we, are, we, we should learn and take away. There is a whole flood of money now from governments, as we know, uh, in order to deal with the economic lockdown. Quantitative easing, trillions of dollars around the world. Uh, we're seeing, as of 10th of April this year, about $10 trillion being pushed into the economy by governments. This quantitative easing should be guided so that uh, central banks purchase corporate bonds from companies with low carbon footprints and those that will thrive in a low-carbon, resilient future while avoiding uh, carbon-intensive bonds. The government of Canada, very interestingly, has just announced the LEAF program, the bridge loan for uh, large companies, and I'm delighted to see that the government of Canada has made uh, concerns for climate plans uh, a condition of these companies getting this uh, bridge loan. That's the kind of uh, working together that we would, uh, we would need. So those are some of the lessons that I believe we are learning early. Let me summarize that so that we can put it together in terms of act some actions. There are others. Governments can devote a large proportion of these resources right away to climate change and uh, resiliency um, and, and, and mitigation of climate change and seize the opportunity to reconsider existing subsidy regimes that accelerate climate change while this money um, is being used to recover from the pandemic. Companies can seize the moment to decarbonize, in particular to the, uh, you know, the retirement of economically marginal and carbon-intensive assets. So the lessons are in front of our eyes. It's up to us to act and change right away. Well, thank you, uh, uh, Naresh. So uh, what I've taken away from this is that uh, we have to be aware of the uncertainty that exists and that there is a great deal of unpredictability about the future and we need to build for resilience at the end of the day. Are there any last comments that you'd like to make? Yes, uh, a few that uh, will probably help regulators and supervisors as we go forward. Why don't, I, uh, why don't I just put this in the form of some concrete recommendations to supervisors and then make uh, some suggestions as to how 
we can begin to actually, you know, to take action. So some of the recommendations I would make to, to supervisors would be, one, encourage financial system actors to embrace uncertainty and recommend steps uh, and indeed suggest and provide tools in order to them to do so. These could include a clear statement of the initial conditions, you know, where companies are now doing some scenario building, and we have the tools to do that, of optimistic worst case and middle case scenarios, and then use adaptive planning by identifying what one might call tipping points, you know, when systems go over the threshold suddenly. A lot of these ideas are contained in a complex complex adaptive systems thinking. And uh, there's a lot of work done. We do that kind of work routinely, and we will be using these uh, strategies in courses that the Toronto Centre will will offer on how to deal with these issues together. Another recommendation would be um, for the financial system as a whole, Regulators should consider, if you like, establishing a COVID-19 financial stabilization and recovery task force, which looks at uh, both, you know, uh, climate change and pandemic recovery together. In this way, they can monitor closely solvency and liquidity problems of major financial actors and project what could happen from climate change. They should use this crisis as an opportunity to build a better future. Uh, Societies in which are more resilient to pandemics as well as to climate change, for example, through carbon-sensitive quantitative easing. And finally, they should use this uh, crisis as an opportunity to put in place guidelines for financial exclusion of the excluded. Well, let me just finally, to wrap it up now, make a link to how we might integrate these recommendations into everyday work. I want to make this link to the communities of practice that the Toronto Centre has been doing and plan to do more. And in a community of practice, which uh, we might have on this topic of pandemics and climate change, looking at them together, we could look at areas in which financial regulators could look for innovative action, They could learn from the emerging future. Some of them might be coming up with innovative actions already. And in a COP, a community of practice, that is, we could be bringing these together. We could look at opportunities to do business differently for both climate and pandemic, like remote work, online meetings, reduced travel, but going much beyond that to looking at disclosures, reducing brown investments, increasing green investments, such as increasing green capital markets, even looking at how regulators are currently managing uh, risk-based supervision and what are the the additional capacities they would need uh, in order to take on board more seriously pandemics and climate change and indeed monitor such capacity over time. We need to ask questions about their leadership. You know, is the leadership seized with the importance of dealing with both pandemics and climate together? And finally, a suggestion that a COP might consider is uh, 
building on the insider knowledge of the cops, but bringing in some outsiders, so to speak. So their naivete, if you might call it that, might indeed fertilize and catalyze action uh, so that the regulators and supervisors will indeed be able to look at these together. Thank you very much, Anatol. Well, thank you, Dr. Singh. And finally, thanks for uh, bringing up the community of practice. So I'd like to give the listeners uh, uh, first notice of an upcoming climate change community of practice, taking a more in-depth look at climate risks to the financial system, supervising in the new normal on June 23rd. Watch for uh, an email coming to you soon. I'm here in Toronto, Canada with Dr. Naresh Singh, Toronto Centre Special Advisor on Sustainability, and you've been listening to Toronto Centre Podcast on the go. Thank you for joining us.